This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. In 1989, Barbara Brandon Croft got her own comic strip in the Detroit Free Press. She was so excited that she quit her reporting job at Essence Magazine to pursue being a comic strip artist full-time. Problem is, it paid just $75 a week. That's about 180 bucks a week in today's money. So Brandon Croft knew that if she wanted to do it full-time, she needed to be published in many more papers. She needed to be nationally syndicated. So she reached out to the syndication companies, and she got a lot of rejection letters. But she also received one yes. And with that, Brandon Croft made history with her comic strip, Where I'm Coming From. And her story and a collection of her comic strips from 1991 to 2005 are in a new book also titled Where I'm Coming From. And Barbara Brandon Croft joins us today from New York. Welcome to On Point. Thank you. Thank you. I can't, Thanks for having me. I can't tell you what a joy it is to be able to talk with you today. So I'm so grateful that you're with us. I'm wondering if you could start by actually telling us uh, more about that story of of how you reached out to the syndication companies because you wrote a you wrote a letter, submitted some of your uh, sample comic strips with it, and the letter itself had a pretty vivid style and message in it. What did it say? <laughs> It said, you don't have black women in your comic pages. Here here I am. What's the point? I mean, what's the matter? We need to, um, I don't know, I put them on blast. I just pointed out that there have been, been comics around forever, and few have been black. None have been women, um, black women, that is. And I just think they needed to, to recognize, and I was already published. So I was like, it can happen. It, it, I have something that can work. So that's what I did. Mm. Well, you know, I have to say, I, um, uh, from what I understand, the letter was visually arresting also, right? Because cause you put <laughs> it, it in like... a headline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like big, bold letters that said, few black cartoonists have entered national syndication since the 1970s. None have been black women. Now, I just want to ask, like, when you were processing that and thinking about that very fact when you were sending out these... Um, these letters, I mean, obviously it's something that you had known for quite some time. How did that strike you? Because you that meant you grew up at a time, you were growing up at a time where there were no black women comic strip artists in the papers that you were reading as a child. Absolutely. There were very few black comic strips in the papers I was reading at all, you know. But my dad was a pioneering black cartoonist, one of the few who made it into the mainstream press in the late 1960s, and he had a comic strip called Luther. And so I was well aware of the industry. I, I actually worked on his comic strip when, at you know, some point um, when I was a little bit older. And um, so I knew what was happening. I could see it in front of me. And I also knew that if you had one black comic, you're not going to have another. So often my dad would... would be, uh, you know, we already have Quincy or we already have We Pals. We don't need Luther. So it was, I was re- well aware of how few black faces mm. were on the comic pages. 
And your father was Brumzik Brandon Jr. We should. That's right. We're going to talk more about him quite a bit um, in a, in a few minutes, Barbara. But uh-huh. but I have to say I I admire how much in that letter that you sent to the syndication companies that you kind of lean on what you were hoping were their better angels, right? Because you say, you know, it's the nineteen it's the nineties, and I'm optimistic. I'd like to see where I'm coming from now, being self syndicated, distributed nationally. I only hope racial and sexual attitudes have matured to a point where those in key decision-making positions at newspapers and syndicates recognize the need for social commentary from the black female perspective. Now, when you got all those rejection letters, save one, what did they say? (laughs) Um, A lot of them were, you know, your boilerplate. Um, Thanks, but no thanks. Try again, that kind of thing. But I did get one very nice one. It was long, (laughs) and it was explaining why they didn't think it was going to work, that... You know, I couldn't just do black women. I couldn't just do. I couldn't just do heads. I had to put them in environments. Um, I had to, um, if I wanted to think about it differently, they would consider me again. But what I had to offer at that point, they were not um, interested in, and did not think there'd be enough people interested in looking at it. Doesn't I mean, that sound nuts to you? I mean, it like, sounds the insane. world's most famous comic, Peanuts, is basically just, like, heads and, and little squat bodies. <laughs> I, I mean, really, it, I just, to and, you know, it, it, and if you look further down the line, you know, there's some comic strips that are, you know, visually, they're not really uh, hitting and holding. They're just sticks or, you know, assorted other things. But I, um, I, I just wanted to let them know that that this is an, a point of view that you guys are missing, and I think it's already worked in Detroit. I think it can work beyond Detroit. And it was uh, United Press. Oh my God, I forgot what the UPS uh, Universal. Means. Universal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Universal Press Syndicate. Yes. That picked you up. So they're the ones who are like, "Hey, there's there's something here," and 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 good for them. So yeah. so let's but let's go back. You mentioned your father, and I do want to. Um, talk about him and your mm-hmm. early life and whether or not becoming a comic strip artist was sort of in your life plan <laughs> as a as a little girl. So as we mentioned, um, your Barbara Brandon Croft's father was Brumzik Brandon Jr., the creator of the comics, comic strip Luther. And that, that was one of the first nationally syndicated comic strips to feature a mainly black cast of characters. Um, and it began uh, in the late 60s. So here is Brumzik Brandon Jr. in 1998 at Ohio State University talking um, about you, Barbara. Um, some, some of my neighbors have uh, used to try to tease me by saying, I see your daughter's work on the paper. Um, and her work is much better than you. <laughs> to which I respond, she had a better teacher. <laughs> and thank you to the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum for that clip. So tell us about growing up uh, with your dad, Barbara, um, and how much his work was, was part of just your, your life as a child. Uh, sure. My, so my dad's a cartoonist all his life. He started selling cartoons, I think, when he was 18. Um, he did um, many things before, before Luther happened. And um, by the time Luther happened, I was, you know, uh, a kid, you know, a young, you know, adolescent. And, you know, we grew up in a small house on Long Island, Newcastle, Long Island. And my dad's studio was our dining room table. So he would set up his, his situation, you know, pens, papers, pads, 
light box, the whole thing, do his work, and then take it all down so we could have dinner <laughs> on the table. Um, but so I've seen, I was watching a cartoonist, real life role model, one that I could touch, you know, in my home. And it was, it's kind of interesting because when you're younger and you're in a small house and you're running in and out of the house, it, we had to actually be quiet during the time when he was working on Luther. Mm -hmm. So he did a daily, I did a weekly. So for every other week, he had to do two weeks of Luther. And so for that week that he was working on the two weeks, we had to be quiet. And it was just kind of wild to me as a young person. I'm like, this guy is supposed to be a cartoonist. He's supposed to be fun. And we have to, you know, tiptoe around him. <laughs> and he's mean. <laughs> you know, he's, he's actually stern at this, you know, at this time. So, but... That's that's just that was just the reality. But I saw the ethic, you know, the work ethic that it took to do a comic strip. Yeah, I, yeah. But you you say in in the book where uh, also titled "Where I'm Coming From." Yes, that um, you knew you'd be you were drawn to the visual arts, right? But you didn't necessarily think that becoming a comic strip artist was was going to be in your future. Exactly. I did not. And, and you know, you know, being rebellious, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm not going to do what my father's doing. Are you kidding me? You know, it's like, that was, that was just my, you know, just me being, you know, as I grew older, I'm like, I'm, that's not me, that's him. Um, but it wasn't until I tried to get it. Um, I, I tried to get a job at a black woman's magazine. And that's when, and that's when her name's Marie Brown. She was the editor in chief. She's now a literary agent. But, um, <clears throat> She was like, "You're kind of funny, you know. Do you think and you and you draw? You think you can come up with a comic strip?" And I was like, "Yeah." Had no idea what I would do, um, but you know, I you know I like to say, had my dad been a truck driver, I might not have said yes. I could do it, but seeing him do it, I actually had the attitude of, "Hey, if he can do it, I can do it," and I came up with something that she liked. Wow. Now, so when you uh, this was when you were at. Uh uh, Essence magazine. This is when I was at Essence. Yes. Okay. And you were yeah. the, the fashion and beauty writer there. Were you also? Um, oh, you know what? It's it's actually the other way around. I took it. I was working at Retail News, and I took it to them, uh -huh. um, to Elon. And when Elon folded, and they, before they could publish a strip, I took these strips to Essence, and you know they were like, "Oh, we're thinking about it." Then they're like, mm, "I don't think we want to put a comic in the magazine." But what are you doing since you're not making it as a cartoonist? I was like. Well, I'm um, writing fashion for retail news, and they needed a fashion and beauty writer. And I was like, I know nothing of beauty. Um, they're like, we can teach you. But they gave me a test, editorial test. I took that, and they liked me, and I quit my job. I was like, <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to take somebody's place for four months at Essence Magazine, but I quit my job. And there I was at, at Essence. And, you know, lucky for me, the person who had the job before me, Paula White, she decided not to come back, and I stayed there um, almost six years as fashion and beauty writer. Wow. Now, so eventually, um, uh, after that inspiration of becoming a, a comic strip artist, uh, the Detroit Free Press was looking for, for diverse voices. Um, yes. And I believe they reached out to your, your father, I, and he told you to apply? Well, they sent him—he had gotten an award for being one of the pioneer black cartoonists, mm -hmm. and— um, they sent him a letter, and it was congratulating him and saying, you know, we need our pages to reflect our readership. And do you know of any black cartoonists? 
And um, he showed me the letter. He's like, uh, you're going to talk about being a cartoonist? Are you going to be one? <laughs> you see the effectiveness of his language. It's very spare, but very precise. It's like the exact same thing that happens in comic strips. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, my guest today is Barbara Brandon Croft. She is the artist behind the legendary comic strip, Where I'm Coming From. And she's out with a new book that's a collection of her comic strips from 1991 to 2005. It includes essays and letters as well. We'll talk much more about her career when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we are joined by Barbara Brandon Croft. She's a legendary comic strip artist and the, the force and voice behind the comic Where I'm Coming From. And her latest book, with the same title, is a collection of Where I'm Coming From strips from 1991 to 2005. And it also includes essays and letters uh, about her life, her story, and her story in comics. And we've got a excerpt of the book at onpointradio.org. And and Barbara, you know, before the break, I talked about how, um, you know, comics are both this like incredibly rich medium that somehow pulls it off with such seemingly um, you know, like uh, spare artistry. And the reason why I mentioned that is because I remember as a kid, you know, the first time you get swept up into the world of comics, you just enjoy them at the level that children enjoy things, right? You just, you're you you jump into that world completely. You don't really think about what's going on. But sure. when I, as an adult, when I look at, at at comic strips now, I think, how do they do that? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it, it, I don't want to say just, it's um, these line drawings in just in a couple of panels that take me into a world that say so much, that have this beautiful commentary, that carry a story along. How, can you talk about your artistry? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And and again, I credit my dad for for much of this of, of this understanding that you because the reality is, if somebody's reading a comic, it's gonna you got their attention for maybe ten seconds, fifteen seconds. Um, so you have to do something, whatever you're gonna say, and hopefully you're saying something that you know is gonna resonate with someone. Um, you have to do it succinctly. You have to um, find the least amount of words to make this happen. Um, so for me, I, I 
come up, I write down ideas of what I want to do or what I want to say. And, and then I try to figure out how I can get to that punchline. You know, how can I, what's the dialogue that gets me there? Is it going to be two characters? Is it going to be one? Which ones are they going to be? Um, so, so that's the way I do it. I, I come up with the idea, try to figure out how I can say it with the least amount of words, and, um, and then put it together. How long does that take? Um, so I was lucky because I had a weekly. So uh. unlike my dad who did, you know, two weeks of Luther every other week, I did. I had to do two strips every other week. And um, I would say, because I'm, I'm a procrastinator, <laughs> I, could wait, <laughs> I could wait until, um, you know, I've got, oh, no, I've got three days to do this. Where were those ideas? You know, like, how can I do this? So physically it probably takes me three hours, you know, the coming up with the idea and then writing it, that takes the, mo- the most time. Yeah. You know what they say about something that uh, looks so easy? That's because it's probably really hard to do, right? <laughs> That's what they say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, I, so this also, um, how you're communicating those ideas um, begins with the style that you decide to draw in, right? And yours is so, so singular. I'm wondering if you could talk about how you decided that you were going to have a cartoon that was telling the story, is telling the story of black women, um, just by featuring their faces, their heads, their hair, and and hands, and, and that's it. Yeah. So when I first came up with the idea... I was like, I am so tired of women being objectified. I'm so tired of us being thought of in terms of our bodies or our body parts. Um, I wanted to have my characters talking directly to the reader or directly to each other. And and the rest of us are kind of eavesdropping on their conversation. Um, But I, I wanted to make it clear that I'm talking about what is going on in these women's heads, what's what's on their minds What's in on you know? Look in their eyes. Look at their expressions. Look at their hands. I only started using hands to be more expressive, but I didn't want to include bodies, and that was one of the complaints I got early on too. It's like you can't just do heads. You can't, and and it does look odd. It's not it's not a comic strip that um, you see anywhere. Um, so when Detroit was like, I like this kind of oddball um, looking uh, strip. And they went with it, which was, you know, I was so pleased mm-hmm. to even just get started. It really does focus you as the reader on what these women are saying. I think it's just so, so effective. But I understand that um, even the Detroit Free Press early on, they were, was there some concern that the strip would come across as being anti-male? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the very The very fact that I had a comic strip that had all women and then all black women before people even read it, took a look at it, um, they would say, hmm, they had the notion that I was anti-male and anti-white. And I'm like, wow, I can't even exist on a page without assumptions being made about me. So, you know, sometimes you just let that uh, foister you, you know, like you feel a little more empowered. You're like, this is... These are black women. Here's an opportunity for a larger segment of society to take a look at a smaller segment and say, huh, that's pretty normal. It's like, yes, we're all humans. We all, you know, worry about, 
you know, hairs growing out of our chin. You know, mm-hmm. you know I, talk, I would talk about anything from, you know, something like that, something so superficial to as, as deep as I wanted to go. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's it's interesting to me how um, there was that concern. Do you know what? It's making me think uh, just <laughs> about the comics <laughs> I used to read as a kid, which was many decades ago. I'll, I'll grant you that. <laughs> um, and how those, you know, how you saying that like the same assumptions were not foisted on other comic strip artists right. about like, would you be anti this, anti that? Because I'm thinking like, okay, I know people are going to just laugh at me or they're going to send me <laughs> tweets about how this is terrible. But I used to be a huge fan of Andy Cap of all things. See? Right. And like, yeah. I mean, could there be a more misogynistic <laughs> cartoon <laughs> comic strip out there? I mean, it's crazy. I know. I know. It's so true. It, I mean, and even, you know, as, with just being women, they're like, you know, um, we don't. We already have Kathy. We don't need where I'm coming from in our paper. I'm like, hey, women come from different points of view, and not only that, Heathcliff and Garfield can be in the same paper. Let's <laughs> cats are allowed to have more than one point of view. Why not women? Come on. <laughs> so we're laughing now, but I think you know the, 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 this is the thing about America is that we see. Where do we see ourselves, right? And, 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 and in fact, historically, comic strips have been a really, really, really important place for uh, American stories to be told, right? And Absolutely. Some, and some of the times they have been, I mean, speaking of, speaking of racism, uh, I would say that the world of cartoons and comics um, has uh, sadly been a place where there has been a lot of just horrible racism. Um, Absolutely. In the past, so the idea that that um, you had to struggle so much to become the first nationally syndicated black female uh, comic strip artist is uh, it's it's disappointing. I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll go back to my dad one more time, but I mean, maybe not more than maybe more than once. But um, the fact that his in the '60s, late '60s, you know, they didn't have black comic characters drawn by black hands in the mainstream. So, like you're talking about, you know, prior to that, blacks were seen on the comic pages as uh, stereotypical, you know, buffoons or, mm-hmm. you know, coons or, you know, it, it, it wasn't a place where you could see a, a real um, a real look at what, what it's like to be a black character. And so he, and, that, and then for me, you never saw um, black women um, unless we were maids, you know, mm. or, you know, mammies, you know. Uh, so it's, it's, it made a difference, I think, for me to be able to have my hands drawing these characters and speaking through their mouths what's on their minds, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, I wish that I had my uh, when I was a kid, my hometown newspaper did not carry your comic strip. Um, actually, oh, maybe I was actually I was like, oh, I was older then because you didn't you were nationally syndicated after 1991. So I'll have to go back and check and see when yeah. if and when they ever started carrying it. Um, but I would have loved, loved seeing it <laughs> as as a child. So I'm wondering if we could just talk a little bit more about like if you could like, give us some examples of some of your favorites that are in in the new book. And I know that's probably pretty hard to yeah. whittle down but you want to you want to talk about a couple of them um sure um you know i i had an opportunity uh to talk about things and you know when when 
we were putting the book together. And I had to go back through strips that I did in the 90s and the 2000s. I was a little worried. You know, I was like, what is, what did I do? You know, because you do it, you, you put it out there and it's gone. Because like with you, I, it wasn't in a New York paper. I was living in Brooklyn. I, it wasn't in a New York paper. Um, but a lot of major cities out there had it. So I did it, sent it out there, and kind of left it, you know, let it go. Um, so now that I go back and, and look at what I was talking about, um, what's most striking to me is that we're talking about the same things mm-hmm. um, and things that have not been resolved you know, surprise, surprise, are are still an issue. Um, so, you know, I did pick out a few. This this one got me in trouble. <laughs> but if you're going to talk about um, rights to abortion, um, that's going to get you in trouble. Um, and so I'll just read this one. Um, and this particular character is Lakeisha, and she's the most socially conscious, and she's the most um, militant, I'll say. Um, but this is her. And she says, I cannot believe these anti-abortionists. I mean, how can you say pro-choice equals murder? Murder is a sin. And if you don't agree with us, we'll kill you. That was a strip that I did in the 90s. And and that's when, you know, um, abortion clinics were being bombed. um, Doctors were being shot. um, But it, it, it some people found it offensive. And you know you can't please everybody, obviously. But that's one that's that's one that I did way back when. Can I just ask you quickly? How do you decide how to? I mean, those are powerful words, accompanied by, um, by by her face and her expression. Like, how do you decide what expression to give to those words? Uh, um, the mirror. <laughs> 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 you know, it's you, you kind of exaggerate how you actually feel. Um, um, to give that expression to your characters, um, but yeah, that's that's how that's how I do it. You know, that's how I did it. That's how I do it. So you know, you maybe exaggerate the expressions a little bit, but that that's how I find it. Yeah, right well, in my reflection. So yeah. speaking of which, how many of your characters are sort of inspired by you or uh, people around you? I would say all of them. Yeah. Um, so I, I identify with Lakeisha. She's, you know, very uh, socially conscious. She's, you know, is up on the news and, you know, knows what's going on in the world. But I'm also Jackie, who's like very um, uh, anxious, me, um, <laughs> who's um, worried about things that she shouldn't. Like I worried about my hair coming to the radio show. That's crazy, Barbara. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I have. <laughs> Is my hair okay? It's like, what difference does it make, Barbara? But um, but all of them are, are either parts of me um, or parts of friends or both. Yeah. Um, little little aspects of me and little, you know, portions of friends um, that I can stick in and come up with a, you know, a character. Mm. Barbara, could you share another one of uh, uh, the, the strips that are included in the book? Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, sure. Um, I was thinking. So, what I also did was include some post uh, syndication yeah, strips because yeah. I still do it. Um, I still, um, I still create where I'm coming from. I don't have a syndicate, but you know, I'll put it on my Instagram or something. Um, but this character is Cheryl, and Cheryl's kind of snarky, 
and um, opinionated. Um, and unfortunately, you can't see her expressions, but um, here's one. And she says, I know it's important to be respectful of folks with opinions other than my own. I know a dialogue between the right and the left is necessary to help this nation mend. I want to be a part of this solution, but, and she kind of shrugs her shoulders, for the life of me, I can't figure out how to have a conversation without saying, don't be a moron. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, I'm so- <laughs> You're catching me in an honest moment here. If I was at home in my kitchen reading that, that's exactly what I would have done. Oh, oh gosh. Here I am worried about getting in trouble about laughing on the radio. I mean, what kind of trouble did you get into over your career with, with oh, you know, yeah. some of this edgy stuff? Yeah. Um, I got letters. I got letters um, for those same reasons, you know, I'm being anti-male or I am being anti-white um, and... Uh, I, honestly, those kind of letters kind of made me feel good because I'm like, huh, I pushed your buttons, did I? You know, it's, it makes you feel good that you reach somebody on that level. You know, but back then when I was doing stuff, it it wasn't like like times are now where people can just whip out their phones and start their thumbs flying to, you know, bring you down or, you know, talk about how much they don't like what you're doing. They had to actually... You know, get a piece of paper and pen and find an envelope, get a stamp, take it to the mailbox, you know. So I'm like, wow, you took a lot of effort just (laughs) to tell me that you don't like what I'm doing. Well, you'd think those things would be obstacles, but obviously it didn't stop folks, right? I mean, some of the feedback, I call it feedback, but some of the criticism you got was pretty vicious. Like people telling you to, you know, quote, go back to Africa. (laughs) Yeah, and take Jesse Jackson with me. I was like, huh? I mean, that's that's ridiculous. I was like... And you kind of have to laugh at that kind of nonsense. Um, I got a letter from a guy saying that he was very um, upset with what I was doing and I was anti-male and um, this is no way to, you know, show, there's no, there's, there's no room for all this. And, you know, I, I, I would write people back on occasion and I wrote him back and I just said, I don't know if you notice, but if you read my strip, I usually don't say men. I'm talking about a specific man, you know, like there's Maurice and Victor. There's certain guys that are part of the strip that you never see. But but I said, but if you see yourself in something that somebody's, compl- one of my characters is complaining about in this particular guy, then really, where is the problem? Is it me or is it you? <laughs> yeah, like that's on you. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, wow. Well, so can, just tell me, we've got about uh, 30 seconds before we have to um, uh, go to our, our our next break here. Was there ever a strip that you had conceived that you decided in the end that you weren't going to do because it was maybe too edgy? No. <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> no, I just did them. That was the high answer I was hoping for, Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> well, my guest today is Barbara Brandon Croft, the legendary artist behind the comic strip Where I'm Coming From. And we'll talk a lot more when we come back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair. 
a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today I am speaking with Barbara Brandon Croft. She is the legendary comic strip artist behind the strip Where I'm Coming From. She was the first black female cartoonist to be nationally syndicated in America's newspapers. And her latest book is also called Where I'm Coming From, and it's a compilation of comic strips from 1991 to 2005, plus essays and letters uh, from across her storied career. And we've got a, an excerpt of the book at onpointradio.org. And and Barbara, if I may, there's a, one, um, there's a strip right at the beginning of the book that just makes me laugh. Uh, every time I, I read, I, I read it. So I want to read it, read it to you, and just tell me a little bit of the story about this one. It's right there at the top. It's where um, the character saying, "Vernon and I have been seeing each other for nearly five years. I still haven't figured out the attraction. Even after all these years, I still don't feel like we're close. I bet he couldn't even tell you what my favorite food is." Yesterday, Vernon told me how proud he was that I'd finished college, got my MBA, and opened my own business. He called us serious and said he'd finally found a woman worthy of his ultimate commitment. So I mailed him my resume this morning and told him he could marry that. <laughs> that was an early one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, but so tell me about uh, about um, this is this is again one of those. Uh, issues and stories that can uh, only come uniquely from the perspective of a black woman, right? Because you're not just talking about marriage in general. You're talking about black women uh, and relationships and marriage. I'm talking about that black woman and (laughs) relationships and marriages. And, and, you know, I I recognize that, you know, sometimes you can get be so accomplished and you find yourself in a relationship and and you wonder about it. And when they come off with something like, you know, you you know, they've checked off all their notches. You know, oh, she's this, she's this, she's this. Okay, she's good enough for me. And she's like, what? You can marry my resume if that's what's impressing you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, um, just so that we get our history right, you are the eighth uh, black cart- uh, comic strip artist to be nationally syndicated, and your father was the third, right? Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, okay. you know the the dates, but but also we all, always have to make sure we say mainstream press because there's a whole host of cartoonists that were in the black press, and the first woman who was in newspapers was in the black press, um, and her name was Jackie Orms, and um, she did a did a number of car- cartoons, but her things were all but lost because they were in the black press, mm. um, and you know. But now she's she's getting her 
you know, roses, so to speak, and people are recognizing it. My distinction is that I cross the color line. Mm-hmm. So when I say mainstream press, but I really mean white press. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with my dad. My, one of my dad's heroes was Oliver Harrington, who was in the black press. Um, but a lot of people have lost. That's lost to a lot of people. Um, but my dad and, you know, you know Ted Turner. Oh, Ted Turner, listen to me. Um, Ted Shearer and um, Maury Turner um, came along with my dad at the same time, and so they crossed the color line and became cartoonists in the white press, just as I did um, become a syndicated cartoonist in the mainstream press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So once again, just to remind folks. Uh, uh, Barbara's father is Brumzik Brandon Jr., who brought the world Luther. Yes. Um, and we have another <laughs> clip of him speaking. This is from a 1991 interview he gave on CBS News. And he was asked about the impact cartoons have on public opinion and policy. I think it's, it's very, very important. I don't think it can be stressed enough. I think Thomas Nast uh, determined that many, many years ago. Uh, when uh, Boss Tweed, I think it was, said... Uh, he didn't mind what they wrote about him in the newspapers because his constituency couldn't read. But get rid of those damn cartoons. <laughs> so I'm, I'm certain that that still applies. They make today. a point with brevity and with conciseness and with a kind of penetration. Absolutely. Uh, that, that sticks right in. So, Barbara, what do you, what do you think about that? I think my dad was right. <laughs> he, he was very funny. Um, that You know, that... That interview was before I was syndicated. I was only in the one paper, and um, it was interesting to be on there with my dad, um, talking about cartoonists and and um, the importance of cartooning. And that you know that seems like it's part of my blood, really, mm-hmm. realizing that this is such a way to uh, communicate um, ideas, and it's also a way to record our history, and um, so. I, I look at myself as a, you know, conscientious history reporter. <laughs> you know, I, I record, I record our history. Where it's a, I'm a cultural, uh, converse, you know, commentator. You know, I um, try to uh, do exactly what he was talking about. Um, it's it's important to, to as he would say, uh, observe interpret and record and um it's it's a a unique way doing it through cartoons Mm -hmm. um to get that those points across and and to record history yeah you know and also of course many many people enjoy uh comic strips as um as adults but i also think that their importance kind of is double or even triple because uh, comics are, are are an entree for young people into the very kind of issues that you're talking about, Barbara. Like I, I remember one of my, you know, one of my kiddos. She was a particular fan of uh, Calvin and Hobbes, right? Just yes. like addicted to to Calvin and Hobbes. And occasionally she'd come to me with a question about like some philosopher or some, <laughs> you know, r- random um, existential question. I'd be like, Where did you learn about that? And she'd be like, It was in today's Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. But I mean, that's kind of a lighthearted example. Of of you know of what I'm trying to get at is that the, the this is a medium in which young people can be introduced you know to the very ideas that you you put in your strip for so long about the lives of 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 black women about racism um, 
about things like that. Did you ever think about that as you were writing the strip? Um, I think as I was writing it, you know, this uh, early iteration, I was just putting it out there. You know, I was like, you know, it was bubbling out of me. There are things that I wanted to talk about, and I talked about it. Um, But since, I realized I have a a cousin in uh, San Francisco who um, talks to her grandkids about my strip, two boys, you know, she'll Mm. have them read it and have them discuss it. And that's really flattering to me, you know, that I could put some ideas out there that spur this kind of conversation, especially in younger people. Um, This woman told me that her daughter, who's 13, looked at my stuff and said, Ma, she's she's funny. She could have she could be doing this now. And like I love the idea that young people can look at my work and and get something from it. Yeah. It's it's a great it's really great. Well this is what I think is so wonderful about comics, right? It's like seemingly a disarming medium, but you can really hit people with some big ideas. Absolutely. No yeah. so tell me more then we talked about some some of the negative feedback that you got, but you must have received some po- like lots of positive feedback as well as as people who had never had a chance to have this kind of story told in their newspaper, you know, were seeing your work. Yeah, I I got a lot of um, really nice letters. A lot of times, women would write and say um, that I was telling their story, and they had never they'd never experienced that. You know, especially in Detroit when that first started, um, they were like, "Wow, I look forward to Sundays to look at." to see what she's going to talk about my life um, in this time. And and since then, I've met women. There's a, um, a reporter in New York who said that she used to, when she was working in Texas, that she used to cut out my strip and put it as like a letterhead when she wrote her friends because it wasn't everywhere. Um, it was in a lot of major cities, but... Um, but I thought that was pretty. I, I, it made you know warm my heart <laughs> to know that um, she would you know actually cut it out. She'd cut it out, put it on her wall, and she'd cut it out and use it as a you know a, a header for her letters to friends, just to spread the word. Huh. And that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I love that. Now, um, there's one more. I mean, we could talk about many more things regarding your father's work, but I know there's mm-hmm. there's something in particular uh, that that you wanted to discuss because there's uh, there's an exhibit right yes. that portrays your father's work and your work uh, together. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, we put together um, a, an exhibit here in New York um, with uh, Tara. Nakashima Donahue is the curator, and um, we put together several exhibits, but we did one here in New York, and, and the exhibit's called Still, Racism in America, um, a retrospective in cartoons. So what we used were things from my dad, not just Luther, things he did for Freedom Ways, um, which is a, a black journal um, that was started, you know, way back when, um, and is and my dad was a part of. He would do editorial cards, cartoons for them. We include some Luthers, um, which, you know, are at the Billy Ireland um, a Museum at Ohio State University. And we include things that my dad, my dad did post-Luther, um, which he did for Florida Today and different different places. He, he did a lot. Prolific. But we put together um, a, an exhibit of his work and my work. And what's astounding, and maybe not so much, is that we would talk about the same things 30 years apart, easily. So what we do is put the strips on the wall, and the only thing we would put there would, would be the year uh, that this came out. 
And it would, it's kind of um, profound to see how little we've moved the, the mark. You know, we are still struggling with dealing with racism. And um, so the Billy, I, when, when we opened in New York, um, that's when COVID hit and there was a lockdown and that was the end of the, the story. But, um, but the, you know, when Ohio State called and said, we could put it in the Billy Ireland, I was like, what? And, you know, they brought us out there. We put together a, a really, you know, a break my arm, pat myself on the back, but a really <laughs> a incredible exhibit. Um, and then that, that ended, you know, the exhibits last. But now um, um, we're, we're talking with and making it happen at the University of uh, U, UC Davis is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say um, and bringing it out there. Um, so for uh, 2024, it's going to live again. And I, I hope it's, it gets to travel because it's a real education. Um, maybe I can get it in Florida. <laughs> they could use an education. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Barbara, I have to say, your, your, uh, your humility... Uh, only it, it just like it just amplifies your tremendousness in, in my mind because listen, you are a pioneer, you're a pathbreaker, you get to own that, you get to celebrate that. You don't have to worry about breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back. Well, I'll pat you on the back then and save your arm, okay? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but but I do want to ask you, um, you know. I don't know if, if this is something that you actively think about, but being a pioneer, do you ever wonder or do you think about what uh, you you want your your legacy to be? Um, I guess what I think about, because, you know, actually I've been asked, you know, that kind of thing. And it makes me feel like, oh, my God, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm a, you know, it's, it's, it makes it makes me feel a little uh, uneasy. But but I do I do like being thought of as somebody who was who accurately recorded our history and who accurately told the story of what these nine black women were going through in the 90s and now, you know, currently, because I still use them, I still do it. Um, So I don't know. I I think I'd like to have that as my legacy, that I I told the story and I told it honestly. Mm. Well, so how much do you think um, the world of, of cartooning um, and comic strips has changed after you, you know, you, you crossed that, that color line and opened those doors? Um, I think that once I got in, I've, I was feeling very good and proud. And, you know, and I'll say rightly so. I, I should be proud. It's, I, I was feeling very good and proud because I knew I had broken down um, the door um, but I also felt like I was standing in the door because nobody else could get in. You know, it's like, we have Barbara. We don't need anybody else. And that's that was kind of a weird feeling, too. I'm glad that, you know, since I've moved on, you know, um, that there have there are other cartoonists out there, women cartoonists, that are making things happen. And um, women, black women cartoonists syndicated two of them. Or at least now there's another woman in um, in the New Yorker regularly. Mm-hmm. Um there's Jennifer Crute. There's there are a lot of black cartoonists that are out there, that are women, and they're doing it. And um, I I hope that you know after I got after I unclogged the door, <laughs> that, that I um, offered some path for them. 
Well, you most certainly did. And I keep thinking about what you said earlier. If you if we can have a, multiple comic strips about cats, we can have we should be having dozens of comic strips about black women at the very least. So yeah. so you weren't standing in the doorway. It's just that the door wasn't wasn't being made wider for a long yeah. time. So yeah, for a long time. Barbara Brandon Croft, the legendary comic strip artist behind where I'm coming from. She's got a new book out with the same title. It's a collection of her strips from 1991 to 2005. Also includes essays and letters from her career. We've got an excerpt of it at onpointradio.org. Barbara, it's been such a great pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Magda. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. <laughs> 